Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 405th show is Dr. Victor Camp, retired professor of geological sciences at San Diego State University, who will be talking to us about the case for a long-lived and robust Yellowstone hotspot. Our history buffs for today are Brett Menard and Terry Toppler, and Terry starts us off this time. All right, thank you. Um, Vic, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about plate teutonics. Um, We know that, for example, that the North American plate is moving westward, I believe, shoving itself over the Pacific plate. But can you talk about how the movement of the plates, how they have influenced these hot spots? Yes, uh, sure, Terry. That's a a good and relevant question. Um, So a a hot spot is really sort of a a concept. Uh, This is the way it began. And uh, uh, it began as an explanation to explain the volcanism that that we have in, in Hawaii. And before that, you know, people were dealing with uh, the very mechanism of plate tectonics. But yet, if we look at Hawaii, it, it occurs in the very middle of the Pacific plate, and there's no real plate tectonic mechanism to explain the volcanism, so there had to be some other uh, independent mechanism, independent of plate tectonics. So the idea of the, of the concept is that we have this, this hot um, plume, again, that is derived from the core mantle boundary, rises all the way up through the mantle, where it melts, and that plume remains stationary, and that's that's the important uh, uh, point to understand about uh, the plume itself. As it melts, it's a constant melting that takes place, more or less, but the plate uh, moves over top of that hot spot. So what that means is, is the plate moves over a stationary hot spot that the volcanism, uh, if it's consistent over many tens of millions of years, uh, will produce a, a linear train of volcanic islands, like we have in Hawaii, that get progressively older off in the direction of plate motion, which for the Pacific plate would be would be off to the northwest. Um, so that's the relationship, the, the or, or lack of one, I should say. The, the point is that, is that we have two independent processes. You know, plate tectonics is one, which is a combination of a lot of different convective motion and a lot of volcanism produced by plate motion. But then the other is the mantle plume that's independent of that process completely. Okay, Brett. So you've talked a little bit about how these migrate. How far east do you think that this will migrate in the next 10 million years or so? Oh, I think probably to Des Moines. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that helps with a lot of issues we have with Des Moines. Yeah, that solves so many issues. <laughs> in, in, in reality, I, I mean, I, it, it's, it, it's complete speculation. And uh, what's happening is, is, is the hotspot track moves farther and farther to the east. It's moving under thicker and thicker continental crust. So, you know, the topic that we're on is uh, not only a long-lived Yellowstone hotspot, but a robust Yellowstone hotspot. But how robust is it? And and that's the unknown question. We know that the history is robust, but will it continue to be robust in the future? Well, it really depends on can that magma work its way through this thicker and thicker continental crust off to the east, or will it peter out over time? 
and I don't have the answer, and as far as I know, nobody really does. Vic, I, uh, can you explain what, or maybe, maybe give us your uh, opinion as to what conditions create a mantle-derived volcanic plume? What is, I know the, I know the athenosphere is churning and all that, but uh, what, what unique conditions create a plume that would actually rupture through the overlying uh, material? So um, it, it, it's all a function of, of energy, of course. You know, you have to have the energy to produce the dynamic motion. And the energy in this case is, is, is the heat energy. And we know that, that there's internal heat within the Earth um, that's not evenly dispersed. Uh, the highest heat source is probably within the core of the Earth. And if you go all the way through to the base of the mantle, where we have the bottom of the mantle that sits over top of this really hot uh, 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 core, that the core itself is in motion because it's actually mostly composed of, of liquid iron along with some nickel and some other uh, to, to, to type of material. So it is in convective motion. And that convective motion of, of, of heated metal or, or molten metal uh, may result in, in, in heat energy that's not equally distributed. And there may be portions, and this is getting to the point, there may be portions right there at the core mantle boundary where that hot core is hotter than normal, heats up the mantle to a higher degree than it would in other places. And once it's hot, it's more buoyant, and it's also more malleable. You know, it's still in solid form because you can't, well, still in solid form, and it's it's has a lower density because it's hotter, and that's what causes the the upward mobility. Okay, um, Terry. Well, um, I was going to ask a little bit more about the. You mentioned we need to know or understand the relationship between energy and matter, and that um, some of this was because the Earth needs to release its heat energy. Can you talk a little bit more about that relationship? So. The, the, the Earth has one way that it releases energy. The, the, the primary way uh, is through through plate tectonics. Um, so what happens uh, is that in the upper portion of the mantle we have convective motion. You know, it's kind of a circular motion of of, of convective uh, mantle. You know, hot material rises, colder material is denser, therefore it descends downward. And between hot rising material and downward descending material, you have a circular motion of, 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 of convection. And that circular motion is actually what drives the plates. Uh, so if you go to one plate boundary, a divergent plate boundary, that's where two plates are moving apart. And as they move apart, hot material rises and melts. And as it melts it, at the mid-oceanic ridges, it cools to produce oceanic crust. So the entire oceanic crust, you know, 70% of the outer solid earth is... Uh, from the melting that, that takes place there at the mid-oceanic ridges. You know, all that crust is derived by that, uh, by that process. But on the other side of the plate, uh, where the plate uh, moves and the, the uh, material gets uh, colder and denser, then it starts to, to descend back down into the mantle. And where it descends, this takes place at the convergent plate margins, which are often associated with the deep oceanic trenches that we have on, on, on Earth. Um, so, so we have this constant motion, and that constant motion releases heat, constant heat uh, being released at the at the divergent plate uh, plate boundaries. 
But that con- that convective motion only takes place in the upper uh, portion of the mantle. It, it does not release all the heat energy that exists in the lower mantle. So the only way we can release that energy is through mantle plume activity. So that's why we have this kind of superimposition of plate tectonics that we see very active on the surface and the occasional periodic rise of these mantle plumes. And and the, the source is different. And we, we can actually recognize the source of the mantle uh, chemically because it has a different chemical signature uh, uh, in the lower mantle than it does in, in, the, in the upper mantle. Okay, Brett. So how does this hot spot uh, influence the geysers at Yellowstone? Is that just a, a relatively mild of side effect? or? Yeah, it, 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 it's relatively mild. It, it's, um, you know, Yellowstone is, along with Iceland, which also actually happens to sit on a, on a mantle plume. Iceland is kind of interesting because it's a mantle plume that actually is directly under the mid-oceanic ridge. So you actually have two things going on at the same time. But these two areas have the greatest geyser activity anywhere on, on, the, on Earth. So you think of it as geothermal energy, which in essence is just simply uh, hot uh, rock that heats up uh, the groundwater system. And it heats it up far above... Uh, the normal boiling point of water, but it's under pressure, you know, the rock above it. So periodically it kind of builds up and builds up and then explodes out of these geysers with uh, a fair bit of energy. But all this takes place at a very shallow level uh, compared to the, the magmatic system at, at greater depth. Vic, I think I have the last question. You do. Wow, man. Thank you, Jay. Uh <laughs> Uh, I uh, spent several years uh, in allied to my occupation chipping rocks uh, out west, and I was kind of stunned by uh, when you go north out of Twin Falls, Idaho, go across the, I believe it's the Snake River, you can see literally, I think it's hundreds and hundreds of feet of uh, lava flows. Uh, looks like mm-hmm. basalt, uh, and they're anywhere from a few inches thick to several feet thick. So I was, I was wondering on these flood, uh, flood basalts or flood lava flows that occurred, uh, there must have been a tremendous amount of lava that was placed on top of the earth in uh, relationship to this uh, volcanic plume. Yes, that's right. It, it, if, if we look at the Columbia River flood basalt province uh, that's you know associated with the Elson hotspot from you know, vast outpourings of basalt from uh, eastern Oregon all the way up to the north into Washington. And some of those lavas were so largely flowed all the way across uh, the Pacific Northwest to the Pacific Ocean, and they burrowed under sediments and continued even farther out underneath the, uh, the, the sediments. So they are massive uh, uh, lava flows. But the Columbia River basalts are actually the youngest flood basalt province on Earth, but also the smallest flood basalt province on Earth. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it is wow. remarkable yeah. because when, when you see the thickness uh, of these lavas, it's over 3,000 feet, you know, in, in the canyon lands uh, there in Hell's Canyon, for example. So they are massive amounts of large, large lava flows. The Snake River Plain uh, uh, there at Twin Falls you were talking about are much thinner lava flows, but they're also related to the Yellowstone Plume but they're not considered flood basalts. 
uh, they're intermixed with these rhyolite eruptions, the explosive rhyolite eruptions. This is what uh, we call a, a bimodal province. Uh, perfect. No. Uh, well, we would like to thank our guests for this 405th show. Dr. Victor Camp, retired professor of geological sciences at San Diego State University, who talked with us about the case for a long-lived and robust Yellowstone hotspot. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it is being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previous recorded shows can be heard on SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio, one word, in the search. Click on the first icon and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.